Great. If you've got uh, Bibles with you, uh, do turn to Luke chapter uh, 1. Luke chapter 1. Uh, and as I said, we'll look at uh, God breaking his silence. He's been silent for 400 years um, from Malachi, the end of Malachi at the Old Testament. Uh, and for 400 years, they've heard nothing. And in Luke chapter 1, uh, Luke records God breaking his silence. He speaks uh, again. So Luke chapter 1, and we'll start to read at verse 5. In the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and both were advanced in years. Now while he was serving as priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside at the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, How shall I know this? For I am an old man, and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And the people were waiting for Zechariah, and they were wondering, what his delay in, wondering at his delay in the temple. And when he came out, he was unable to speak to them, and they realized that he had seen a vision in the temple, and he kept making signs to them, and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked, up, he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. We'll look at uh, that passage in a few moments, but shall we... I was going to say, shall we sing again? But let's have another song. Um, The words will come up again. Speak, O Lord, uh, as we come to you. Make this your prayer, that as we come to look at God's word, pray that God would speak to you and change you and make you more like the Lord Jesus.
come to look at this uh, passage in Luke chapter 1 together, um, but shall we pray uh, as, we, as we start? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for your word, and uh, we echo the words of that song that you would speak to us. Uh, we, we ask that you'd be gracious to us, uh, speak to us this morning, and change us as we come to your word, we pray. In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, just uh, before we come uh, to the passage that uh, we read, just to give you uh, some background that Luke, um, the Dr. Luke that we read about in Acts and later on in the New Testament, he's decided that he's going to write an orderly account uh, of all the things that have been, uh, that he's seen and heard. And so all the things that he's heard uh, from eyewitnesses uh, about the Lord Jesus, Luke has collated uh, and he's going to write an orderly account. And so this is it, uh, the Gospel of Luke. And he writes to this man, Theophilus. Uh, you can read that in uh, chapter 1, verse 3. That Theophilus might know the certainty of those things which he was instructed. And perhaps Theophilus is a new Christian. And so Luke writes this account that he might know for sure uh, that these things are true. And Luke writes to... Uh, to say that you know, God has come into this world with good news. More than any other gospel, Luke uses this word good news or good tidings or, or gospel. And we saw it in uh, chapter 1, verse 19 that we read, where Gabriel said, I was sent to speak to you and bring you this good news. And throughout Luke's gospel, you get this idea of good news. There's good news coming. 
Uh, 400 years, uh, God has been silent, but there's good news coming. But before uh, we look uh, at this passage, or it comes out in this passage, I want us to see that the good news comes against a dark background. Times are bleak. Uh, In many ways, there's a dark background, but into this dark background, God speaks and brings good news. We've said already that God has been quiet for 400 years. The people of Israel, the children of Israel, have been waiting and waiting for the Messiah. And there's been nothing, no new revelation from God for 400 years. Spiritually, uh, it would seem it was a dark time. Do you remember what it says about Samuel, or the time of Samuel, when Samuel was born? When God spoke to Samuel, it said, the word of the Lord was rare in those days. Well, here at the start of Luke, in Luke chapter 1, where he starts, it's the word of the Lord, well, it wasn't just rare, they'd had nothing new for 400 years. And so things were bleak, spiritually. But politically, things looked bleak as well. Herod was on the throne. He's an immoral man. He probably had at least uh, ten wives. And of course, we know Herod from the Christmas story uh, where he tried to kill uh, all the babies uh, under the age of two to try and destroy the Lord Jesus. Politically, things weren't right. How could this be that the nation of Israel had been overtaken by Rome Uh, The Persian Empire had gone, the Greek Empire had come and gone, and now the Romans had taken over the land of Israel. And perhaps the people thought, well, how can God set up a kingdom? The Romans are invaded. What is this, this promise of a kingdom that God would set up? So politically, things are bleak. Herod, this wicked man, is on the throne. But also personally, Uh, For the couple that we read about in this story, things were bleak. You have Zacharias or Zechariah and Elizabeth, and they're barren and well advanced in years. And Elizabeth says uh, later on in the last verse that we read, verse 25, that God had taken away her reproach. They were disgraced in a sense. It was a reproach. It was a shame to them that they didn't have any children. And in that culture... Uh, that would have been the case. Here's this old couple. Personally, things were bleak. They had no children. They were barren. But it's against that backdrop that God comes in, steps into this world when things are bleak, when things seem dark. Has God forgotten about all the promises that he's made in the Old Testament? God steps in and brings good news. So four things uh, from this passage. Firstly, notice Zacharias, or Zechariah, a faithful minister. He's a faithful minister. Look at verses uh, 5 to 10. We read of this man who is a faithful minister. He was sincere. Look at verse 6. We're told of Zacharias and Elizabeth. uh, In verse 6, and they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. He was a sincere man. For him to follow God, for him to be devoted to God, it was everything. He kept all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord. Even though there had been 400 years where God hadn't said anything, he'd been silent, he knew that he had God's word 
in the Old Testament scriptures. And he followed the commandments. He followed the ordinances. For him to follow God, it was a serious thing for him and his family. It wasn't a light thing. It was a wholehearted devotion to God. He kept all the commandments. He was sincere. Do you realise that to follow God, to follow the Lord Jesus, it's a serious thing. It's a wholehearted, it's a whole life devoted to him. And it was uh, for Zacharias. He was sincere. He was steadfast. Uh, look at verse 7. Uh, and they were both well advanced in years. He was old. Elizabeth was old. And yet they still followed the Lord. This wasn't a fad. This wasn't a passing thing to follow the Lord and keep his commandments. It wasn't that he followed God and kept his commandments in his uh, enthusiasm, in his youth, and then he gave up in his later years. No, he was advanced in years, still following the Lord, still keeping uh, his commandments steadfast. So he was sincere, he was steadfast, and he was serving. He served God. Uh, verse 8, so it was that while he was serving as a priest before God in the order of his division, he served God in the temple. This man uh, was a priest. If you go back to 1 Chronicles uh, chapter 24, uh, you read of Aaron's grandchildren, and he had 24 of them, and there was a rotor. It's probably the first rotor system uh, that we read of in the Bible. Uh, and ever since, churches have been having rotors. Uh, but there was a rotor, and Aaron's grandchildren and their families would take it in turn to serve God in the temple. And one of those grandchildren was Abijah. Uh, and Zacharias, uh, he's a priest in the line of Abijah. And it was Abijah's turn to serve in the temple. And here he was, uh, as we pick up the story, serving in the temple. Zacharias is fulfilling the job that God had for him. He served God. So here he is, he's a sincere man, he's a steadfast uh, man, he's a serving man, but he's a saved man. Uh, verse 6, uh, talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth, they were both righteous before God. Why was he righteous? How was Zechariah righteous? Was it because he was sincere in keeping the commandments? Was it because he was steadfast and he kept following the Lord all that time? Was it because he served God? That was how he was righteous? No. The Bible's so clear that righteousness in God's eyes only comes through faith in Christ. Even for people who lived before Jesus was born, it was faith in Christ that made them righteous before God. Zechariah was a man who looked forward, who looked to God to bring a Messiah into this world. He didn't know uh, that he'd be called Jesus. He didn't know uh, many things about how Jesus would pay for sin, that he'd go to the cross and bear his sin on the cross. But he was looking to God to provide a Messiah, and that is why he was righteous in God's eyes. He had faith in the one that God would provide to deal with his sin. He was saved. Are you righteous in God's sight? Are you saved? 
Have you looked to the Lord Jesus for forgiveness? Are you righteous in God's eyes? Does God look at you as he sees the Lord Jesus? Jesus, who's borne your sin and taken the punishment that you deserve. Have you trusted him? Are you righteous in God's eyes? So here's Zechariah. He's a faithful minister, a sincere, steadfast, serving and saved. A godly man, uh, even uh, perhaps when many around him weren't. Perhaps many had forgotten the promises of God. But here's Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth, steadfastly following the Lord, a faithful minister. Secondly then, God brings a fantastic message. God brings a fantastic message. Look at verses 11 to 17. Here's this man, he's serving God, he's plodding on, things look bleak around him, and God steps into the world and speaks to him and brings a fantastic message. Perhaps Zechariah uh, was tempted to think, well, maybe God has forgotten his promises throughout the Old Testament. But the name Zechariah means God remembers. Had God forgotten his promises? Well, while Zechariah was serving God, God steps in and speaks to him. Warren Wearsby, a preacher and a Bible commentator uh, who recently died, uh, he says this, If you want to be guided by God, if you want direction from God, get serving him. And he uses this illustration because it's hard to steer a car if the engine isn't turned on. And it's hard for God to direct if you're not serving him and if you don't get moving. Uh, And if you look throughout the Bible, it happens time and time again. God speaks to people who are serving him, who are busy in his work. And so it is with Zacharias. God speaks to him while he's busy serving the Lord. And what a message he has for Zacharias. Um, The angel appears and when Zacharias saw him, he, uh, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard and your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son. So here's the message. Zacharias was going to have a promised son. The angel came and promised Zacharias a son. I could have said he was a prayed-for son. Uh, His prayer had been heard. But the angel comes and promises a son for Zacharias. When had Zacharias and Elizabeth been praying for this son? Remember that they're old. How many years after they got married had it been before they realised that perhaps they were barren and started praying for a son? I don't know. How many years had they kept praying for a son? Had they perhaps given up praying for a son uh, because now they were old and they thought, well, it's not going to happen now? Well, whether they'd stopped praying or they were still praying, they certainly had prayed and their prayer had been heard and God promises a son. Remember what it says in Ephesians uh, chapter 3. Now to him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all we can ask or think. Here's their prayer. It's an amazing answer that they're going to have a son. But God does exceedingly abundantly above all they can ask or think. This son, they're not just going to have any son, but they're going to have John the Baptist, a special son 
uh, was going to be born. God answers their prayer in a wonderful way. A promised son. He's a praise-giving son, or a praise-bringing son. A praise-bringing son. It says you shall call his name John, and, and you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. People were going to praise God because John the Baptist was born. Zacharias and Elizabeth, they praised God. God had worked this miracle in providing a son and they praised God as John the Baptist was born. Many people would praise God. We read in Luke chapter 1, verse 58, after John the Baptist is born, when her neighbours and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, that's Elizabeth, they rejoiced with her. So their friends and neighbours, they rejoice and praise God because he's worked in the life of Zacharias and Elizabeth and given them a son. He's a praise-bringing son. The name John means God is gracious. And people would praise God for his grace to Zacharias and Elizabeth in providing them a son. So he's a promised son. He's a praise-bringing son. He's a presenced son. He's a presenced son. Let me explain what I mean. Uh, verse 15, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord, and he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. This son would have the presence of God with him. He'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. He was a presenced son. He had God with him. He was to be a holy son. He'd be holy. He had the Holy Spirit living in him, dwelling in him. But he was to be holy. He was to be a Nazarite. Uh, he was to drink neither wine nor strong drink. Do you remember back to Judges 13 when the angel of the Lord appears to uh, Manoah's wife and Samson is promised? He says a similar thing. Drink, don't drink wine or strong drink. Don't eat anything unclean. For the child was to be holy. And John the Baptist was to be a holy son, not drinking wine or strong drink, but instead he'd be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb. And then later on in the chapter, in verse 41, we read, as Mary, who's carrying the Lord Jesus, meets Elizabeth, uh, who's carrying John the Baptist. And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe le leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. This son that they were to have, John the Baptist, filled with the Holy Spirit, even from the womb, have the presence of God uh, with him. So he was a promised son. He was a praise-bringing son. He was a present son. He was a prophet son. Uh, verse 16. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. He will also go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. This son was going to be a prophet. He was going to speak to people about God. He wasn't going to be a priest. Zacharias was a priest. 
Elizabeth, uh, her family, she came from a family of priests. She was of the daughters of Aaron. But John was not going to be a priest. John was going to be a prophet to speak to people about the Lord and to turn people in this bleak time uh, where people are far from God. He was going to turn their hearts back to God as he preached. And of course, we know that John the Baptist preached repentance and many uh, followed him and followed his preaching. He was going to be a prophet and not a priest. If you were to flick back a few pages in your Bible uh, to the last book of the Old Testament, uh, to Malachi uh, chapter 3, uh, we read this. Malachi chapter 3 and verse 1, we read, Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. And then in Malachi chapter 4, uh, which is quoted here in Luke chapter 1, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. So the very last prophecy 400 years ago uh, from God was that there would be a prophet like Elijah who would come before the Lord Jesus came to this world. And here is the fulfilment of that prophecy like Elijah, preached and turned people uh, to the Lord. John the Baptist would be a prophet in the spirit and power of Elijah. This was the promised one uh, that would prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. He'd be a prophet, turning people uh, back to the Lord. I don't know if you uh, write to-do lists. Um, I had a big, long one yesterday. We're going on holiday tomorrow. We're going first thing. And so I was sort of working through my to-do list yesterday, thinking I've got all these things to get done before we go away. But sometimes you write a to-do list, and there's an order to that list. And you look at your list, and you think, well, I can't do this job until I've done this job. And I can't do this job until I've done this job. And sometimes there's an order to your lists. Well, when Jesus came into the world, there was an order to how it had to be done. God had promised that before Jesus would come, a prophet uh, in the spirit of Elijah would come. And here is God fulfilling that promise. John the Baptist was coming. The fulfillment, he was going to be uh, the Elijah-like prophet that would come and prepare the way for the Lord Jesus. So he's a promised son, he's a praise-bringing son, he's a presence son, he's a prophet son, but he's a preparing son, a preparing son. John the Baptist, whilst he was promised, he is not the promised son. He was promised in the Old Testament, he was promised to Zacharias and Elizabeth. But the whole of the Old Testament promises another son, the Lord Jesus John the Baptist did cause many people to praise God. But of course, Jesus is the son that causes millions of people around the world to praise God. Jesus is the one who would bear our sin on the cross. Jesus is the one who would make a way for us to be right with God. John the Baptist couldn't do this. And Jesus would be the one that caused us to praise God. God. Millions and millions of people all around the world praise God, not because of John the Baptist, but because Jesus was born.
John was present with the Holy Spirit, but the Lord Jesus also, if you read in Luke chapter 4, the Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. And of course, Jesus Christ, not only was he filled with the Holy Spirit, he is God himself. To be with Jesus Christ is to be with God in the presence of God. John the Baptist was uh, the prophet in the spirit of Elijah, but Jesus Christ is the great prophet. Again, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to preach the gospel. Uh, That's what Jesus said. He is the prophet. And John the Baptist, he was all these things, but he was a preparing son or a pointing son, pointing to the Lord Jesus. John the Baptist was not the fulfilment of all of the Old Testament. Jesus Christ was. And of course, John the Baptist, his life's work was to point people to the Lord Jesus. Remember what he says in John chapter 1. Behold, or look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John the Baptist would point people to the Saviour, to the one who would go to the cross and make a way for us to be right with God. And John uh, also says in John chapter 3, he must increase and I must decrease. And that was his message, just to prepare the way for the Lord Jesus, to lift up the Lord Jesus. What a great task he had, but he wasn't uh, the promised one. It was Jesus Christ he was pointing towards. So a fantastic message uh, is brought from God uh, to Zacharias. So we have Zacharias, a faithful minister, God bringing a fantastic message, but then we see Zacharias, the faithless man. He goes from being a faithful minister and then he becomes faithless. He's a faithless man. I'm sure you can think of many people uh, in the Bible who didn't take God at his word. It seems, the Bible seems to be full of them. Right back from Adam and Eve, Eve didn't trust God's word and took the fruit. She doubted God's word. Think of Abraham and Sarah. God said they'd have a son. And what happened? Sarah laughed and Abraham tried to uh, take matters into his own hands with Hagar and Ishmael. God said to Moses, speak to the rock. And Moses didn't trust God's word and struck the rock. Jesus says to Peter, come to me and walk on the water. And then Peter starts looking around and didn't trust God's word. And here is Zacharias in that long list of people who didn't take God at his word. And it's a serious thing uh, that he does. He doesn't trust God's word. He says to the angel, how shall I know this? For I am an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. I don't know uh, whether that's anything that you've ever said um, of your wife. I Probably she wouldn't want you to. My wife is well advanced in years. But this is what Zacharias uh, says to the angel. He doubts the angel's goodness. And he says, uh, he doubts God's word. And he says, you know, how is this going to be? Or how shall I know that this will happen? And of course, we know the story. For his unbelief, he's made mute. And you think, well, how is this different to Mary, who later on in the chapter says a similar thing? How can this be, since I do not know a man? And of course, Mary's not made mute. Well, Zacharias goes further, I think, than Mary does. He asks God for proof. Mary says, how can this happen? 
Zacharias says, how shall I know this? Prove it to me. I'm old. Prove to me that I'll have a son. He doesn't take God at his word. And here is uh, Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. And it's Gabriel who was sent uh, to speak to you and bring you these glad tidings. Gabriel has come as God's messenger. Gabriel is speaking God's word. God has said that Zacharias would have a son. He needs no more proof than that. If God says it, you don't need any proof if God is clear. There is no higher authority than God's words. No proof uh, can prove God's word because God's word is the highest proof, it's the highest authority. And Zechariah says, prove it to me with a sign that this is uh, to be. But he needn't have asked because God's word is the highest authority. You can trust God's word. Are there promises uh, that you read in the Bible and you struggle to believe them? Perhaps things look bleak in your life and you think, is God really working for good? Are there promises that you struggle to believe? If something is explicit and clear in the Bible, you don't need any more proof. It is God speaking. His word is the final authority. It's the highest authority. If he says it, it will happen and it is true. There are times in life where we think, I've just got to trust someone and hope what they're telling me is right. Now, for me, it's when I take my car to the garage. I know nothing about cars. And so when uh, the mechanic says, you've got this wrong, this wrong, and this wrong, I'm sort of taking a big risk and saying, well, I hope you're telling me the truth because I know nothing and I hope you're not just trying to rip me off and do extra work and get more money from me. I don't know who it is for you, but for me, it's when I take my car to the garage or have anything done around the house. You're sort of thinking, well, I'm just trusting you here that what you're saying is true. And often perhaps we doubt what they're saying. We think perhaps they are trying to swindle us uh, out of a bit of money. But when it comes to God's word, you can absolutely trust him and take him at his word. Perhaps sometimes we don't take mechanics at their word and we think, well, I'll get a second opinion from another garage. You don't need that with God's word. His word is sure and certain. It always comes to pass. He's not a man that he should lie. God cannot lie. And Zacharias, he asks for proof of God's word. And just like Gideon uh, had a sign, uh, Gideon did very much a similar thing. He asked for a sign, and in that case, God gave him the sign uh, of the fleece. Zacharias does get a sign, but I imagine it's not the sign that he was after. God says, okay, I'll give you a sign, and he was made mute. So Zacharias then, a faithless man. So we have a faithful minister, a fantastic message, a faithless man, uh, finally and briefly, God uh, brings a fulfilled miracle, a fulfilled miracle. I don't know how long uh, this took for the angel to say all these things to Zacharias and how long it took for Zacharias to burn incense. It probably wasn't very long, an hour maybe, uh, maybe not even that long. But so much happens. Zacharias is, 
He's at the high point of his priestly career, burning incense. He'd have only got to do that once in his life. So that in itself was a special occasion. But then he has the angel come and appear to him. And then he has this fantastic message. And then he's made mute. All that happening in such a short space of time. But then it seems to end so mundanely in verse 23. So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, that he departed to his own house. It's as if, you know, you come to the end of your day at work, and perhaps um, many of us aren't doing this now if we're working at home, and it's like you turn off the computer, get in the car and go home. That's sort of what it is here, isn't it? Well, he finishes his work, and off he goes back home. But then at home, we have this wonderful miracle. God fulfills what he promises, and there's a miracle Uh, that is fulfilled by God. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived and she hid herself five months. At home, God does this miracle and God is again visibly at work in the world. For 400 years, he's been quiet. There haven't been miracles. Miracles are rare, uh, even in the Bible. Miracles happen uh, when Moses leads the children out of Egypt and God brings the law. And God is saying, I'm speaking through the law. Miracles happen uh, when Elijah and Elisha are around and God is saying, I'm speaking through the prophets. But outside of those times, miracles are rare in the Old Testament. But here we have another miracle. And this would be the start of many, many miracles in a short space of time as John the Baptist is born, as Jesus is born, and as Jesus uh, comes to live on this earth. God is visibly at work again. He's spoken. He's uh, confirmed he's speaking with miracles because God is about to speak again through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And God, despite Zacharias' doubts, brings about this miracle Perhaps if it was us, we'd have said, oh, if you're going to doubt me, I'll go and do it with someone else. I'll perform this miracle with someone else. But God, even when we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. And because he promised to Zacharias that he'd have this baby, God fulfills his miracle. He keeps his promise. See, Zacharias, God remembers. God remembers his people. He'd remembered Zacharias and Elizabeth and their prayer. And he'd provided a baby. But he'd remembered his people. He'd remembered all people in the world that they need a saviour. And God remembered and was kind and gracious in bringing John the Baptist to prepare the way for a saviour. God remembers. And John, God is gracious. He's gracious to his people as well. Kind and gracious to this old faithful couple, Zacharias and Elizabeth. He took their reproach away and they bore, they, bear, uh, they had a son. Kind and gracious to his people all around the world in providing a saviour who would bear the sins of his people. God remembers and is kind and gracious to his people. So I don't know if you feel that uh, perhaps times are bleak, but when times are bleak, be a faithful minister, faithfully Keep serving God. 
When times are bleak, remember that God still speaks. He speaks through his words. Read it day by day and hear God speak to you even when times are bleak. When times are bleak, take God at his word, even if it seems unlikely, even if it seems like God isn't fulfilling his promises. Remember that God's word is to be trusted. Trust God's word. What you read in the Bible, you can trust. Take God at his word. When times are bleak, God remembers his people and he blesses his people. He's gracious to his people. God is in control. For 400 years, it seemed like God had left the scene, but he was in control of world history. The Greek Empire came and went. The Roman Empire came, and God brought his saviour into the world. He worked out his purposes in his timing, and as John and then Jesus came into the world, he fulfilled his plan, and he brought good news into this world and sent his son to be the saviour. Shall we close uh, our final song? Uh, I think is Joy to the World, The Lord is Come. Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who remembers and is gracious. And we thank you that you are a God who fulfills uh, his promises. And we thank you for sending the Lord Jesus into this world to be our saviour. Father, we thank you that you uh, did not forget. And even though uh, there was quiet for 400 years, we thank you that uh, John the Baptist was born and 
uh, prepared the way for the Lord Jesus to come, the Lamb of God, who would take away the sin of the world. Father, we thank you for our Saviour. Help us, we pray, to uh, serve him uh, and to live for him wholeheartedly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.